morning, everybody. Uh, thank you. Here we are in, an, in a new version of the Link Online interviews. Today, we have the pleasure to present Dr. Angel Chamorro. He's from Barcelona, Spain. He has recently published the article called The Effect of Intraterial Altiplast versus Placebo Following Successful Thrombectomy on Functional Outcome in Patients with Large Vessel Occlusion, Acute Ischemic Stroke, the Choice Randomized Clinical Trial. I am Rodrigo Rivera from Chile. I'm the Link Online editor. And together today, we are with Daniel Vela Duarte from United States from the Indian River Cleveland Clinic. Thank you, Rodrigo. Uh, thank you, Dr. Chamorro, for joining us. Um, I am your co-host, Daniel Vela. Um, We're going to start talking today about this exciting trial. And with that, I'm going to let uh, Dr. Chamorro um, introduce the trial and uh, let the audience know about the most important highlights and uh, a brief summary of, of what, of what the, uh, the trial was intended to. Okay, thank you first for the invitation to join this uh, meeting, this conversation. It's a pleasure for me to participate and make more public, the results of the CHOICE trial recently published in JAMA in February 10. Um, to make a long story short, um, the CHOICE trial basically um, is just asking a new question, is uh, doing a new paradigm in the um, in the management of patients with large vessel occlusion, acute ischemic stroke, with a very provocative uh, uh, understanding, if you allow me to say this, <clears throat> and this is to give a thrombolytic drug to a patient with clean arteries. Something that you would say, well, this guy is crazy. How is he want to improve a patient's outcome if the arteries are already open? Uh, what is the need to give an, a thrombolytic drug in those uh, individuals? And basically, the rationale of this trial was to do this because there's much more than what we can see with our naked eyes. And when I'm saying naked eyes, I'm just referring to civil angiography, which is the conventional tool we use to monitor how patients are doing when we are doing mechanical thrombectomy, as you know perfectly well. So the, the very strong concept uh, behind the CHOICE trial is that patients with complete reperfusion on cerebral angiography at the end of mechanical thrombectomy they still need something because the capillaries, the microvascular bed is still closed. And that would explain why mechanical thrombectomy has some kind of suboptimal efficacy way beyond the great efficacy that it has to open the vessels, the large vessels. That would be in synthesis a first approach to your question. Thank you, Dr. Chamorro. That's a very interesting question about the microcirculation. So what do we know about microcirculation? What is the evidence that we have nowadays about what is happening in stroke patients and these tiny vessels? 
Well, the, the, the concept of microcirculation has been around for a long number of years. I want to emphasize and highlight the beautiful work done in the 60s. This is half a century ago, um, more than a half a century ago, uh, done by um, Ames and others, uh, people that uh, treated albino uh, rabbits uh, and they, they discovered a very interesting phenomenon. And that was that if you include a proximal vessel with a filament in an animal and you retract the filament, you open the filament and the vessel is fully open and the brain is reperfused. If you cut this brain and look at the microscope, you can find like sausages at the level of the capillaries, which are not reperfused. And these sausages, these small vessels which remain blocked are surrounded by areas of brain permanent damage. And this is the concept of no reflow. And that is a beautiful concept that was very much disputed at the time. It was thought that it was an artifact an experimental artifact. And, uh, you know, when, when you fix the brain of the animals and uh, there, it was, it was not credible to believe that if you open the, the, the large river, uh, the small streams will remain blocked and clogged. And actually that was exactly the case. That was exactly the case. Uh, more, much more recently, um, um, studies done by other people like uh, Massigui's group in Paris, for instance, uh, the C is the first author, I will want to emphasize his beautiful work as well. Uh, they repeated these um, experiments with much more modern technology um, uh, with antivital, intravital microscopy and, and, and you can easily see directly through a small opening in the cranium of the animal, then when you close the vessel, the proximal MCA, and then you reopen it, but you take a look at the distal capillaries, you see that leukocytes and, and erythrocytes stop. They don't flow because the distal vessels become occluded. And we know that one of the crucial reasons for that is that uh, the capillaries are surrounded by pericytes, muscular cells that surround the capillary. And at, when you have the ischemia, the whole hemisphere is sensing the danger signals coming from the lack of flow. And pericytes in particular, they have a rich expression of mitochondria and when there is no energy, when there is no oxygen, when there is no glucose, this uh, mitochondria gets some kind of excited and start producing free radicals. And one of these free radicals is peroxynitrate, which is a strongly, strongly toxic agent and a potent vasoconstrictor that constricts the pericytes. So when you block a proximal vessel, let's say an M1 patient with an MY occlusion, um, you, we have to consider what is happening at the level of the pericytes as well. So we go, we do, we perform mechanical thrombectomy, we remove the thrombus, but the pericyte remains shut as the result of oxidative stress. 
as a result of flow interruption, microthrombi are produced either locally or distal fragments coming from the proximal vessel. Who cares? Anyhow, thrombi are there, are stopped over there. So in choice, what we did was just to say, for once, put at stake the idea of Pythagoras that the order of the factors does not alter the product. And perhaps two plus three is different than three plus two. So rather than spending our bullets with drugs when the proximal vessel is clogged, why don't we remove first the clog and then we inject the drug that will have a much more accessible access to the distal vessels? And this is exactly what we did. The most difficult thing was to convince my colleagues that they should trust my thinking and that uh, these micro vessels remain shut and it was an urgent need to provide a thrombolytic. And this is exactly what we did in choice. Definitely, Dr. Chamorro, I, I, I hear you when you say you had to convince your colleagues, most likely from neurointervention or from vascular, from vascular neurology, because the, the injection or the intraarterial injection of, of TPA has been certainly used anecdotically by many neurointerventionists. But again, we never had science behind it. It was that, that feeling that it could potentially work uh, but at the same time, it, it had been injected with, with, with caution and with certain fear that it would cause um, interparenchymal hemorrhages. And so with that in mind, I mean, I want, I, I want to really commend all the efforts of the, of the investigators. I was looking at the numbers from 1,800 patients that were initially eligible. Um, you, your group and, and, and your leadership had to go over like, almost 1,700 patients that were excluded for many reasons, uh, like including in, ineligible for uh, TPA or, or, or patients that had uh, complete recanalization TK3 scale. I wanted to ask you, the, how did you uh, decide or how was the, the dose of TPA determined? Uh, where did this come from? Yeah, observational studies. There are, if you just uh, uh, peruse the literature and you uh, look carefully, you will find a, a number, not many, but a, a number of small series, uh, anecdotal series of uh, investigators, mostly Americans, that uh, did use. Um, um, thrombolytics in patients uh, treated with mechanical thrombectomy um, during or even after uh, the, the therapy, mostly because the vessels were not fully open and they thought it was justified to try to, tr to, try to do um, pharmacological thrombolysis. So if you collect all this information, you will end up realizing that uh, uh, the maximum dose, most of those trials, or, although I'm pretty much aware of the uh, publication bias, a potential publication bias of uh, people with uh, stormy experiences hiding this under the desk and rather than publishing it, 
I, I'm aware of that. Uh, and I, I'm aware that perhaps only people without safety concerns were those who reached the editorial boards. I'm, I'm aware of that. Uh, but anyhow, I, I had a collection of, of papers, small papers, anecdotal papers showing that up to 40 milligrams, okay. 40 milligrams in a single dose uh, infused differently, even in two hours or shots, intermittent shots and boluses uh, differently. But the end up at the end, the main conclusion was that this approach was safe with one serious concern that I had at the time is none of these reported series were patients that before thrombectomy had received intravenous thrombolysis. And this was our case. Intravenous thrombolysis is in the guidelines and the, the, the guidelines are clear. Any potential candidate for mechanical thrombectomy should receive, if it's eligible as well, uh, intravenous thrombolysis. You shouldn't stop the thrombolysis uh, because uh, uh, thrombectomy is on board. Uh, these are the current guidelines. It, this may change in the future, but the current guidelines say so. So I said, well, if 40 milligrams is the maximum dose used in patients free of previous thrombolysis, and we are allowing the use of uh, intravenous thrombolysis just divided by half the maximum dose. And that's how we came to the 22.5 milligrams maximum dose, which coincidentally was the same as the dose used in IMS3. So it's kind of weak rationale, but it was some rationale why we decided this, because we were in the for the first time in the middle of the Amazon, uh, and there was no way, uh, indicated way, where to go, where to proceed. And I tell you, my peers were very much concerned about the uh, hemorrhagic risk. Uh, and so, I was even a little bit more than them yet, because I, I felt kind of responsible for this approach. So yes, uh, that was a major, major complicated decision about the dose. And I think Rodrigo has a, a, another question that will or leads us into, into TPA and mechanical thrombectomy, I believe, Rodrigo. Yeah, following the, 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 some of the technical uh, issues that you performed during, you decided to inject this TPA uh, before, uh, sorry, after the, the lenticular straits, distally to the right. lenticular straits. You decided that why? Just because of the potentially hemorrhagic complications that could be more in the terminal circulation? Yeah, you know, many times the thrombi in the M1, they move forward, they can move. And uh, and the lenticular stride's territory, the, the basal ganglia, are susceptible to many times to the more severe damage in patients with M1. So if you uh, are scared of bleeding complications, I bet the basal ganglia is one of the locations that uh, should be a greater risk. So we wanted to avoid to have too high concentrations because one of the things is dose and the other one is concentration. Uh, 
And uh, if you inject uh, this, uh, supposedly, I can imagine that the concentration is, is higher just at the top of the catheter. So we want to get rid of this high-risk region for bleeding. Um, and therefore, we insisted on infusing the drug after the exit of the lenticular stoides and not too close to the thrombus end either uh, because of the, the concentration uh, of, the, of the drug initially. Um, that's why we also decided at the beginning of the trial to infuse for 30 minutes to get a, a less concentrated dose. Uh, but after maybe 30, 35, I would have to check my, 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 my numbers, but approximately about 30 something patients had already included in the trial without any safety concern. And then the pandemic um, in the middle, and you know, the choice resulted in increasing the procedural time for at least 30 minutes. So it was having this potential COVID patient, uh, not knowing it was uh, the patient was positive or negative. Now we have very flexible and rapid protocols, but not uh, back in the early 20s. And 2020. So, uh, and so the, the my interventionalists were very much unhappy with the idea of standing in front of the patient for 30 minutes just because of the duration of the infusion of the drug. But my concern was the concentration. So, but after seeing the safety in the first about 30, 35 patients, we decided to amend the protocol and shorten the infusion period to 15 times, again, without any further safety concern. I don't so, know if I get your, your yeah. question. No, perfect, thank you. You, you. you also started with excluding the, the TK3 patients, so the, the completely revascularized patients. When did you decide to change this, this decision? This was God that illuminated us. This was God that came in my rescue, you know? I want to start that way. I mean, I actually, my original plan was to try to treat only patients with TK3. But you should see the face of my colleagues looking at me like, Angel, what, 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 what is going on in your head? Are you crazy? And, and so I, I started negotiating. This was a very practical approach to make feasible a dream. Um, many of my colleagues, they were very reluctant and some of them were reluctant to the end of the trial. There are some centers that did not include one single patient with a ticket three. They were so reluctant. They, I mean, we, I, I don't know how many hours we discussed this issue. And I said, for the, you know, if you trust me that civil and geography is unable to pick up what is going on at the microcirculation, what is the difference between 2B and 3? It's the same limitation. It's crazy. I mean, if you accept my main concept, which is, and geography is useless to identify a candidate for post-thrombectomy thrombolysis. So who cares about 2B, 2C, 2, 3, or to be 50 or to be whatever. It's a mambo jumbo. This is nothing. It's, it's useless, this discussion. But, you know, life 
you need to be practical, you need to be diplomatic, you need to negotiate. And thanks to the slow accrual of patients because of the pandemic and the letter that I received from the drug supplier saying, hey, you guys, you ran out of placebo in one year from now. I, I, I you know, I convened the, the steering committee and said, you guys, here's where we are. We are in a, I don't know, but that time we were in a 80 patients or something like this. We have been risking our patients to no interventions. They could be risky. We are using money from the general public. I mean, this is something for me very important in my heart. That money was collected in a TV channel, in a public TV channel that collect money from micro donors for 24 hours. Finally, after 25 years of this TV channel, finally stroke was the issue. And it was 24 hours discussing the problems of stroke. So the people in, in Catalonia giving small donations, like five euros, seven euros, 10 euros. I felt so responsible with this money that I said, you guys, and now what? And in this study with 80 patients, we, we, will, be, we will be dead. I mean, we need to do something. Don't you think it's time already to approve the amendment of getting patients with Tiki 3? And that's why Tiki 3 came on board. <laughs> so God came in my rescue. <laughs> <laughs> so the, it was certainly unfortunate that the trial was, was ended earlier because of these reasons, right? Because uh, the, 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 the placebo was expiring uh, and no restocking was was feasible. Um, I was I, I wanted to ask you about the well the, the study was because of these reasons was was underpowered to perform secondary analysis or sub, sub, subgroup analysis. And so there was no change in the or there was no change or no improvement from in, in the patients that received intraarterial TPA. Uh, compared to to the placebo in the in this in the Tiki scale, uh, or the uh, the quality of life. So how do we? We know that of course the the modified ranking score is much better in in or the the, the less this neurologic disability or, or or and so how do we explain the improvement? Like where where the microcirculation could be the the the, the reason. But if there was no improvement radiologically, or at least not that this study can could demonstrate, and no improvement in the quality of life or in the in the Barthola scale, so where where is the 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 improvement of these patients coming from? Yeah, if you have all the whole picture that I have now, uh, you will be as excited as I am. I'm so confident of what we're saying in this clinical trial. Um, I'm absolutely confident, and I got the data. I got the data. Um, but let's go step by step. The ranking, first thing. Um, that was a crucial decision. It took me um, days of consideration. Where to put the cut, the threshold, to differentiate Indians and cowboys? Where's the threshold? Is it ranking zero one two? Is it ranking zero one two three? Is it ranking zero 
is the ranking zero one. It makes a difference. It is a shift. It is a dichotomous. And then we start thinking, and you say, what I'm expecting uh, from my approach, from my therapy. Uh, of course, I'm not expecting the Lazarus effect. I'm not expecting someone waking up from the angel suit and then coming hemiplegic and then stepping out of the angel suit and getting out of the room without any kind of problem. I, I did not expect this. I expect a patient with, let's say, uh, an area of infarction, some of them um, with uh, in penumbra, some of them dead. I don't have this ideal vision of an egg, a fry egg, you know, with the center and the surrounding area, like the core and the penumbra. This is basically a bullshit, if you, if you allow me to say this. Uh, you should imagine the brain like a salt and pepper thing, where you have this thing is infarcted, this is clean, this is penumbra, this is dead, this is absolutely healthy. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. So what I thought is that we will be able to recruit small dots of brain because think something, the brain, the capillaries represent 90% of the whole series of blood volume, 90%, 9-0. And every single neuron has its own capillary. So we, we thought, well, well, let's start cleaning things and probably this cleaning, this widespread cleaning, rather than removing a thrombus from the M1 or the TICA, uh, probably what this is going to do is that a patient with a you know weak hand will be stronger. A patient with a you know a, a weakness, a small weakness in the leg will recover completely. In, in other words, what we are going to do is to get much more people with fully recovery. And that was, I mean, if we have decided to put the threshold in zero to two, as is a conventional approach in mechanical thrombectomy trials, we will have a neutral study. Neutral effect. It will be neutral. But if you get zero one, you get a 18.5% absolute difference between active treatment and placebo. That was a very good um, decision, I think, that I will, of course, continue in choice two, because I think that um, if I, depending on the trial you want to do, uh, the, the primary endpoint and how to analyze the primary endpoint is a crucial decision that you you, shall, you have to consider very carefully. And the second one reason that I'm so excited is that I was, I knew my colleagues in my trip, and I know that many of my colleagues in other centers, they will be using CT scan for um, uh, baseline imaging study and for follow-up. You cannot ask a, a, a non-contrast CT scan to measure small nuances in a, a brain infarction behavior and measure volumes. And if this is associated to progression and the infar expansion ratio, so it's a too rudimentary technique to measure this. So as I knew that, all the patients included in my center 
which by the way is 50% of the study population, all these patients had non-contra CT, CT perfusion, CT angiography at baseline, but they have MRI perfusion and MRI spectroscopy at 48 hours. And I already have analyzed this. And I tell you, this is gonna be a major paper, which is now almost ready, almost ready. And I can tell you, there's no one single word and statement in choice in the published paper that is not absolutely true. And now the evidence will be much stronger because we will have plenty, not one, plenty of surrogate imaging markers in support of the treatment effect. That is definitely very exciting. And uh, we were reading into that as well. And um, both Rodrigo and I wanted to, to, wanted to ask you if you could, um, you know, tell us just uh, a little bit more about these uh, um, MRI. You want a scoop, you want a scoop, right? <laughs> That's You not want a scoop. Uh, you will be shocked from the what are we expecting from the, uh, the, the, the these advanced imaging studies, including the perfusion studies and the um, uh, what is the other uh, study, Dr. Chamorro? Espe Espe spectroscopy. MR spectroscopy. Correct. Thank you. Yeah. MR spectroscopy, the lactate and uh, any aspartate and ratio and it's so, cons so consistent, so consistent. The they, they, they only one thing that I can um, tell you in advance is that you'll be shocked about the extremely high prevalence of microvascular areas of hypoperfusion in patients with Tiki 3 you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. And after that, I don't say anything else. <laughs> but you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. Is, there, is this new, new the re, after the results of the, of the, of the choice, is mm -hmm. there any, are you thinking in changing or perhaps a way of, of giving the, the TPA, as you said, the, 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 the changes, the factors, given it would be better to, to use it before than after, uh, after before than, than, than the mechanical thrombectomy? Well, the, the, this is a very important question. Uh, and with many data available now that you could re review several clinical trials just designed to ask uh, that question. Uh, I don't know what is your interpretation of the current results, but rather controversial. I mean, some people is finding something, others, they found neutral results, uh, no major differences. Um, the tendency uh, is going to, uh, you know, the, the prevailing understanding, I think, is that uh, if you plan in mechanical thrombectomy, don't waste your time with intravenous thrombolysis. I think that many of my colleagues start thinking this way. Um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure if this is good. I'm not sure. Um, so rather than opinions, I can give you data. And the data was also collected in, in, in choice. Choice uh, thought that this was such a crucial question that we stratify the uh, treatment in the clinical trial according to the previous use, to the variable previous use of intravenous thrombolysis. 
which was done in 60% of the patients. So we have 40% of the study population who did not receive uh, RTPA and 60% they did receive RTPA, although uh, the decision was mainly based on the uh, clinical guidelines. I mean, if a patient comes in seven hours from stroke onset, they cannot receive uh, RTPA intravenously. So there are other factors that could be playing some influence in the results in the end. But what we saw is very interesting. The reviewers in the paper, they were very tough with us concerning subgroup analysis. Uh, too tough in my view, too tough in my view. Just the following day, the paper was published or the day of, before the Japanese trial with the very uh, severe strokes showing that uh, the, uh, the, you know, aspects three to five, they should receive mechanical thrombectomy. They also have this beautiful figure in the New England Journal paper with the subgroup analysis all of them with interaction terms, absolutely non-significant, but they nevertheless present the figure and discuss the subgroup results. Um, all reviewers were tougher with us and they said the interaction terms are non-significant. You cannot present your figure in the main paper that needs to go into the supplementary material that most of the readers do not care at all. So in this uh, supplementary material, you will find a beautiful finding. Well, first thing, all or pre-planned analysis showed a treatment difference in favor of alteplase. And one of those was those patients who did not receive intravenous thrombolysis. So if you look at 90 days, the rate of full recovery there is no difference between patients with intravenous thrombolysis and patients without intravenous thrombolysis. But the reasons for that may be related to many other factors, not related with the drug, but with the time, with the patient's characteristics, as you can imagine. But what we saw is that the treatment effect, that is the efficacy of Alteplase compared to placebo was significantly larger and significantly larger in patients who did not receive intravenous thrombolysis before thrombectomy. What is the explanation for that? I have one suggestion, maybe you may have another, but my suggestion is that if you don't use intravenous thrombolysis, before thrombectomy, the risk of having microvascular thrombosis distal to the occlusion is larger. More collapse in the capillary microvascular bed. And therefore, when you inject a thrombolytic post-thrombectomy, you are able to see stronger effects compared to the placebo. Although the outcome may be different or similar because there are other factors as well. So my understanding and my team, and in my team, I don't have this confrontation because I may take the final decision in my team. 
RTPA is used before thrombectomy until we start, we have the joint, the, the groin puncture done, and then we stop the infusion. But until then, we infuse the drug because we think that this could be useful to prevent microvascular thrombosis uh, during the whole procedure. So, so basically, that's, uh, that's advocating the, the, the joint or um, previous use of, of, of TPA in addition to, to endovascular mechanical thrombectin. In particular, after seeing the safety profile, yeah. I will, perhaps I would be discussing differently this issue if my bleeding rate would have been 7% and some differences in patients with previous thrombolysis uh, but I see no bleeding risk at all. So I have nothing to lose and I may have something to gain. Do you Dr. Think Chamorro, I'm okay. Sorry. Yeah, please go do ahead. You, do you think that the new drugs could play a re relevant role in the future, like tenecteplase, if you use it intraterally versus uh, RTBA Honestly, I don't know what is the potential use of tenetoplase uh, intraterially. Uh, all the experience that I know is uh, intravenous. So uh, I will have to discuss this with an expert and telling me about the pharmacokinetics and the, uh, the safety when you inject this drug intraterially. So I wouldn't jump into changing just because of this. And uh, I will be also afraid of getting out of the intra-arterial infusion. I think that the infusion, local infusion, was part of the success in the trial, rather than, you know, a systemic infusion of the drug. So um, I will stick to uh, alteplase, although certainly this opened many other doors. Uh, not necessarily has to be alteplase all the time. Perhaps anti-thrombotic drugs can be useful after the removal of the thrombus, after, not before, not before again. What is the need to do that? Although I will be a little bit more skeptical with antithrombotics than with thrombolytics. I know that they are underway in some plans to perform both things at the same time. Um, but you know, we, we need to get rid of the thrombus that are already there in the capillary and an antithrombotic, it will, it will not do the job. It is not a lytic agent. So the thrombi that are already there, you need to cut them, break them with a lytic agent. Another issue, and this is real, my baby, and that is my absolutely final dream in life, is to inject uric acid to these patients. I was gonna ask you that. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, the, that's the future. That's absolutely the future. That will be what you will be doing in 10 years from now, I hope. Uh, that, that, that definitely, because I start telling you that the uh, efficacy of choice was because the pericytes are shut and they are shot because of uh, free radicals. So what we need to do is probably intravenous thrombolysis and then mechanical thrombectomy 
and then cleaning the system with a thrombolytic, and at the same time preventing oxidative stress for collapsing the capillaries again. And we need to inject, again, in those patients in one arm, alteplase infusion, and in the other arm, an antioxidant. Uric acid, the stronger peroxynitrate scavenger ever known. So this is my bet that this will be the future. If I'm able to get these 12 million euros that I need to complete my task, uh, but it's becoming rather complicated, but I'm, I'm quite stubborn, you know? So I will insist. I've been there for 17 years trying. Why to stop now? <laughs> Dr. Chamorro, you have brought so much excitement into our field with the, with this new trial, for sure. Uh, there, the, the, the concept of understanding the microvasculature is certainly fascinating. And that, that takes me to, to um, ask you, most of the placebo patients and the treated patients, or in the, in the randomization, were actually treated with, um, or not treated, I should say, we're not treated under general anesthesia. And so do you think that somehow general anesthesia might have deleterious effects on the microvasculature? Uh, I was recently reading a, a paper in the Journal of, uh, uh, of the Vascular Interventional Neurology Society and um, from the UK. And they were trying to, you know, again, discuss conscious sedation versus general anesthesia that has, that has you know, it has been discussed in, in the neurology journal as well in some other uh, papers. And so what's, what's your take on that? General anesthesia may impair, may, may be deleterious for the microvasculature? Your point is an excellent point. Um, and very complicated to, to, to answer, I think. Um, but I wouldn't, I'm not an expert and anesthesiologist, and uh, I don't know for good the, uh, all the many nuances of drug effects of the anesthetics on the microcirculation, but I wouldn't be not only the drug, but the hemodynamic effects of the, these drugs, the, the, the fact that the patient is anesthetized, um, this could certainly have an impact on the microcirculation uh, that need to be considered. Uh, I personally favor to treat the patients um, alert on with uh, conscious sedation. But finally, this is the, the last word is not in my hands, but in yours. I'm a neurologist, I'm a stroke neurologist, so I'm not you know, struggling with the uh, patient's uh, arteries. So in, in the end, it's the interventionalist who decides. But we discussed this in our meetings, and so far, um, the prevailing idea has been to, to use anesthesia only if the patient is really agitated, um, or some, you know, some very demanding reasons for using the general anesthesia, as we did in the CHOICE trial. Although, uh, if I look back, what is happening in my center in the last four or five years, little by little, these numbers are increasing. Uh, it's becoming easier to identify reasons for the use of general anesthesia in my patients. Um, something that ideally I don't like, but I have to respect. It would be interesting to compare if, if the MR spectroscopy changes 
uh, all the the values of the of the molecules analyzed in the microvasculature uh, in patients who were treated under general anesthesia versus those who were treated without it. I'm afraid that the numbers will be too small. Right, right, right. Because we only had a eight nine percent of the uh, patients in the whole study that uh, had uh, general anesthesia. And uh, only patients included in, in, in my center had these uh, sophisticated imaging analysis. So uh, very few of those had uh, maybe two, three, four patients with general anesthesia, which can give you some unstable uh, data to uh, analyze probably. But certainly these are, I mean, I, I think that the choice is opening many, many questions and probably many other colleagues around the world will start doing things uh, with this approach and many questions will appear and, and we will learn a lot and we're very happy to somehow to open that door for the rest of the world. Of course, this is a fantastic work. And so what in, in your group, what is coming next? You already said that there's a choice too coming up or? Um, we are considering this. I mean, yes. Um, to um, I mean, a choice should be in the guidelines, and to get into the guidelines, you cannot just transport data collected in 121 patients. You need to have a large database. Um, so probably um, a choice to uh, will be required to that aim. Although I've heard. I mean, if you listen at uh, Luis McCullough, the, the president of the uh, ISC 22, uh, she said, and this is recorded in YouTube, you can listen to that, that uh, the study was small, referring to choice, the study was small, but strong enough to change clinical practice. <laughs> These are her words. So I'm sure that there will be some people ready to think in, in, in treating patients with uh, alteplase at the end of successful thrombectomy. Although um, a scientific approach to the uh, issue would be to repeat the data and to confirm the validity. Although I must say that I'm sure that the ancillary study that we did with imaging uh, with metabolic signals and with uh, the uh, perfusion measurements in the microcirculation uh, it would assist in the decision in the credibility of the choice results and convince the more skepticals that this was not achieved by chance. It's not just chance, you know. Uh, the fact that this was terminated earlier, the overestimation of treatment effects in these scenarios, I understand we are scientific people, we are serious people, but, but I tell you, uh, choice is giving you sound data. It's definitely very exciting. And I think it has, as you said, Dr. Chamorro, it has opened uh, a, a significant door to continue trying. And, uh, you know, we're very excited about these um, MR spectroscopy perfusion studies to, to, as you said, the all the surrogates or imaging markers of, of microcirculation, microvasculature. That's uh, a topic within the pathophysiology of a stroke that is absolutely exciting. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's my point. And it, it, 
you know, we, we've done this before. Um, I, I was talking to some partners, some friends that are also, also in the neurointervention field. Some people have done four milligrams, six milligrams. I have personally done a couple of times, 20 milligrams. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it, as I said, it has brought a lot of excitement. Thank you. Uh, listening to this, to, coming from young colleagues like you are, is the, the you know it's like the, the 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 best present for a senior like myself to convince <laughs> the younger is the best proof that we are in the in the good track that we are in the good track. So thank you, thank well, you very much. Thank you, Dr. Chamorro, for this conversation. We really appreciate your going. Uh, in the, seeking the future and pushing up the boundaries of stroke knowledge. That's, that's very interesting for us as and, and the community. I have just a last question. I, I'm very curious about this TV fundraising you, 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 you said. Can you explain mm -hmm. more about what, what did you did about the, for, for, for getting the choice uh, funding? What did I did? Because you, you said that the way you, 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 you use it, a TV program or a, uh, you, you make a yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a national, it's a national issue here in Catalonia. I mean, very famous actors and and uh, you know all the the farandula uh, in, in the in the in the country uh, participates and uh, the senior and the younger physicians we go to TV and and we bring patients and we make videos and explain personal lives and stories and you know and and people is very sensitive to this kind of thing so uh, and it's watched by the whole country so um yeah we were able to collect uh for the whole thing uh i remember i think 11 million euros or something like that so this has been funding a lot of uh projects uh in for for stroke so, and one of the uh, projects was choice. Uh, and so now they are very excited as well, seeing about these results we have been very much published and a lot of noise in the media. Uh, so they are very happy. We all are very happy with the choice results and we hope to have choice too. And, uh, and I think this is good for the field is increase the prestige of the scientists that we do stroke is good for the field, good for the patients uh, to get easier access to funding, which is a, always um, a crucial, uh, especially in middle, middle wave countries like Spain. Um, so yeah, we're very happy with the choice overall. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for, for being with us in, the, in this interview with Danielle. So thank you again. It was very nice speaking with you guys. No, thank you for us. It was very nice to speak to you too also. Okay. Bye-bye so now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.